Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 podcast and specifically my book club listeners. We are beginning to finish up The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck with chapter 8 and this chapter is called The Importance of Saying No. So if you haven't been listening along, we are taking each chapter of this book and I'm reviewing it and underlining some important points that the author Mark Manson has to say and giving you my own reflection and interpretation of it. So he starts off this chapter with an interesting story about how he basically traveled so much throughout his life. He visited uh, 55 countries, made dozens of friends, found himself in the arms of a number of lovers, and basically really wanted this freedom. And he was able to get that. Um, But one of the things that he realized is that on page 166, the third paragraph down, freedom grants the opportunity for greater meaning, but by itself, there is nothing necessarily meaningful about it. Ultimately, the only way to achieve meaning and a sense of importance in one's life is through a rejection of alternatives, a narrowing of freedom. So I thought that this concept was interesting. You would think that one of the things that it seems like all Americans want is more, 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 more experiences. I want to travel more. I want more money. I want more fun things, more toys. Um, If I just had more, I would be happier. And he also talks about that with having a lot of excess in your life, uh, you have to drown yourself in them to realize that they don't make you happy. So what he found throughout all of his traveling, meeting all of these great people, dating and meeting a lot of women, that at the end, he wasn't incredibly happy with it. Um, He actually found that narrowing down his life and being committed to one person and getting married and not traveling as much, he found more happiness in that. And we're going to get to that in this chapter. He also talks about... uh, a real pivotal moment was when he visited Russia. Now, I've never been to Russia before, so I can't say that this is true about the culture or not, but he says that there is a bluntness to the Russian culture that generally can rub Westerners the wrong way. He says in Russia, they don't smile at strangers or pretend to like you if they don't. Um, They can be very honest, very straightforward with their opinions. And Um, He really was uncomfortable in this culture when he had first gotten there, but after a period of time, he realized that he began to appreciate it more because he knew who he could trust. He knew he was going to get straight answers, that the things that people were telling him were coming from a level of authenticity, um, and he actually really appreciated the bluntness. Then he goes on to talk about how in the Western world, what ended up becoming more important was our appearances, and when we're looking at business, it was more important or has been more important for the West to become more superficial that, you know, you need to present yourself in a certain way in order to be liked. If you're liked more then your business will succeed. And he says that many times in Western cultures, we can be over polite. We can smile at people that we don't even like. We may be polite to people that we really don't care much of. Um, or we may do things that are, I guess what he's basically saying is just more fake. We're, again, we're not being authentic or really expressing how we're feeling because we're more focused on our appearances and our ability to succeed and wanting more people to like us in order for that to happen. 
So he really believes that that lowers the trust that we can have as a value in our culture, that it can be very hard to really know who is it that we can trust. Are they telling the truth or are they just being polite? Because that's what, you know, we're kind of taught that we need to do here. And he goes on to talk more about this in page 170 and 171 about how rejection can actually make your life better. And he said he believes that we have been indoctrinated with the belief that we should try to be as inherently accepting and affirmative as possible. And he says that that can really be a bad thing because we need to reject something, otherwise we stand for nothing. He also believes that avoiding rejection gives us short-term pleasure by making us rudderless and directionless in the long term. So he's really not for avoiding rejection. And I think if you've read through this book, you realize that his stance is, is obviously this rejection and failing is what's going to make you stronger, what's going to cause resilience, what is going to give you that motivation and that action and that determination to get things done, that it builds more character. I found this perspective very interesting on 170. It is the one, two, three, fourth paragraph down uh, under rejection makes your life better. He said, to truly appreciate something, you must confine yourself to it. So he believes that you need to invest in a single relationship, a single craft, a single career, and that you can't achieve those decades of investment without some sort of rejection in the alternative. So in other words, he's kind of funny here. He says, if I choose to make my marriage the most important part of my life, that means I'm probably choosing not to make cocaine-fueled hooker orgies an important part of my life. So basically he's saying, whatever it is that you're choosing to give importance to, remember he talked about those metrics earlier on, that you are going to have to reject other things in life in order to stay focused and to give your attention and your investment into single relationships, single careers, or single crafts. Um, Again, this also talks about how you need to really narrow down what it is that you are willing to care about in life. Remember, he says we give too many fucks about too many things. So his formula here is to value X, which would be whatever it is that you want to value, we must reject non-X. So that's something to think about. What is it that you're valuing in life? What are the things that you're really paying attention to and putting effort in? And on the other end of that stick, what have you had to have given up or pull your energy back from in order to make these other areas in your life more significant, more focused, more successful? Next, he goes on to talking about boundaries with other human beings and love relationships. Now, remember, this chapter is called The Importance of Saying No. So under this heading, it's just called Boundaries. And I've highlighted some things on page 174 and 175. And he's talking about healthy forms of love and unhealthy forms of love. Unhealthy love is based on two people trying to escape their problems through their emotions for each other. In other words, they're using each other as an escape. Healthy love is based on two people acknowledging and addressing their own problems with each other's support. So he's saying that the two differences between healthy and unhealthy relationships come down to two things. 
One, how well each person in the relationship accepts responsibility. And two, the willingness of each person to both reject and be rejected by their partner. So there's that theme of rejection again, that if you're going to be in healthy relationships, and although he is talking about love relationships, if you think about this in business partnership, you know, with your coworkers, um, you know, if you're younger and you're in college or in school, that that's what's going to make a healthy relationship all around, no matter if it's an intimate one an acquaintance or, you know, just somebody that you're working with. And he also talks about that with boundaries, it's really important when you're in relationship with others that you have to or want to begin to surround yourself with people who will take responsibility for their own problems. And I think this is an important dynamic for the readers to really get into and take a look at in their own lives, because in the earlier chapters, he's really pushing the reader to take responsibility for all of their actions, 100% responsibility, if you remember the earlier chapters. So where you can get kind of wrapped up in not being able to say no to other people or find yourself in unhealthy relationships, on page 176, he says, people can fall into one of two traps in their relationships. Either they expect other people to take responsibility for their problems, or they will take on too much responsibility for other people's problems. So I'd like you to just be honest with yourself and, you know, are you one of those two people that that can fall into one of those traps? Not two people, but um, are you one or the other? Or are you a person that has really healthy boundaries and you have learned how to say no, and you are choosing to surround yourself with people who will take full responsibility for their actions at all times and still love you and reject you at the same time? He refers these two types of styles in relationships to either be the victim or the saver. So again, the victim would be the person that wants other people to take responsibility for their behaviors, and the saver, of course, is the person that wants to save everyone from all of their problems. On page 179 at the last paragraph... He talks about, and I have this whole paragraph underlined, that victims and savers both use each other to achieve emotional highs. It's like an addiction. They fulfill in one another. Ironically, when presented with emotionally healthy people to date, they usually feel bored or lack chemistry with them. They pass on emotionally healthy, secure individuals because the secure partner's solid boundaries don't feel, quote-unquote, exciting enough to stimulate the constant highs necessary in the entitled person. Earlier in this chapter where he has it marked off with boundaries, he also talks about how, um, you know, love and being in love and this romantic love and all the stories of, um, you know, the honeymoon stages and the stories of Romeo and Juliet that really they can give you a high similar to that of cocaine. And people are always looking for that rush and that excitement. So that's why... um, you know, he's kind of talking about how you can fall into this addictive pattern in your relationships if they are not stimulating enough for you or kind of giving you that high. On page 181, uh, the first paragraph, he's also talking about people with strong boundaries, that they're not afraid of a temper tantrum, an argument, or getting hurt. People with weak boundaries are terrified of those things and will constantly mold their behavior to fit the highs and lows of their relational emotional roller coaster. So one of the reasons why I think that this section is pretty important is because it's all about really trying to stand within yourself, 
knowing your metrics, knowing your boundaries, having the ability to say no to people, not rushing in and trying to save others, and not making others responsible for all the issues and the problems that you have. So this is just another way of him explaining of how you can take 100% full responsibility in all relationships that you have with all people. Okay, now the last part of this chapter is under the subtitle Freedom Through Commitment on page 186. And he talks about how our consumer culture is really pushing at us that more is better. And he disagrees. He says we are actually often happier with less. And he talks about what psychologists refer to as the paradox of choice. And this is very true, that if we are given more options, we tend to be less satisfied. Um, The more choices we have, the harder it can be to actually make a choice, because then we're left with doubt, regret. Do we make the right choice? What if I chose this other thing? But when our choices become narrowed, it's a lot easier for us to focus and make a choice when there's less things, let's say on the menu, if you go to a restaurant, and it's a one page menu, and you have to pick from 10 things that are being served, it's a lot easier, you can usually make a quicker decision, it's not as overwhelming. You go to a diner, usually most diners, my god, their menus are like books, you can have breakfast all day, you can have lunch, you can have dinner, different sandwiches, um, different entrees, different salads, different soups. There's almost too much. And how how long does it take you to flip through a diner menu? Unless you absolutely know what you're going to get and you're that person that orders the same thing each time. But I think you're getting the picture. When we are overwhelmed with too many choices, it's much harder for us to make a decision. We can agonize about it. We can doubt ourselves. We can second guess ourselves. And I also like what he says, uh, says on page 187. And this is where he's talking about investing in one person, in one relationship, in one place, one job, one activity. And he says on, let's see, it's the second paragraph on page 187, right in the middle, that there are some experiences that you can have only when you've lived in the same place for five years, when you've been with the same person for over a decade, when you've been working on the same skill or craft for half of your lifetime. And obviously, the longer you are with something and you're more focused on it, of course you're going to go through many different layers in the relationship with that person, place, or thing. But, you know, if you're always kind of jumping from one thing to the next and it's quick and there isn't a lot of time and effort and dedication, how deep are you really going to be able to get in those areas? So that's what I took from it. Um, He gave a good example on the bottom of page of 187. He says, the first time I drank at a party, it was exciting. The hundredth time was fun. The 500th time felt like a normal weekend, and the thousandth time felt boring and unimportant. And so his big story for him, and one of his revelations that he came to, is that he decided to open himself up to commitment. Um, He tells a lot of the stories that I didn't really highlight in this book club, were a lot of his personal stories, and I wanted you to, you know, buy the book and read them for yourself, but really how he kind of lived a very frivolous lifestyle, uh, pretty much a fancy one, a bit entitled, you know, traveling, getting things that he wanted, um, being with a multitude of women, things of that that sort. But what he has really found as he has settled down is that committing himself to these things in his life, that he's much happier and gets more rewards in the end. He also talks about rejecting um, the people that really weren't the very best for him. 
And that's where he's talking about really redefining your metrics, um, deciding what people you're going to surround yourself with. And on page 188, right down in the middle of the page, he says what he's discovered again, with this counterintuitive thing of his book, is that there is a freedom and liberation and commitment. He's found increased opportunity and upside in rejecting alternatives and distractions in favor of what he's chosen to let truly matter to him. And continuing on, he says, commitment gives you freedom because you're no longer distracted by the unimportant and frivolous. Commitment gives you freedom because it hones your attention and focus. Commitment makes decision-making easier and removes any fear of missing out. Commitment allows you to focus intently on a few highly important goals and achieve a great degree of success. So I think you should really take a look at this chapter and take a look at what are you willing to actually reject in life? Are you willing to narrow things down to become more specific? And are you willing to commit to something? So I think those are the takeaways for chapter eight and the importance of saying no. I hope you'll join me for the last chapter of chapter nine to finish up this virtual book club.